0: Hello and welcome to Tales from the Leeds Library, the Leeds Library's podcast series in which we talk to members of our extended community about their lives, their work and their relationship to books, libraries and literature. Founded in 1768, the Leeds Library is the oldest surviving subscription library in the UK. And throughout this series, we'll also be diving periodically into the library's rich history to find out what makes us and our members one of the most interesting and unique cultural institutions in Leeds and the UK. I'm Molly McGrath. I am the Projects Assistant at the Leeds Library and today our guest is Sean Page. Sean Page is a Leeds-based photographer, graphic designer, musician, local historian, and podcaster who has spent, in his own words, the bulk of his life looking at Google Maps. He was born in Hertfordshire and grew up in Welland Garden City, growing up surrounded by urban planning that had its origins in many people's living memory. For those of you who aren't UK urban planning enthusiasts, Welland Garden City is both a garden city and a new town built under the New Towns Act of 1946. Sparked an interest in urban history for Sean. After studying popular music production at the University of Huddersfield, Sean moved to Leeds and instantly felt at home, partly due to the discovery of a vast archive of photographic urban history on the website leodis.com. Sean was diagnosed with Stage 3 Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2016. Thankfully, he has since made a full recovery, but the experience prompted him to quit his job in corporate management to focus on all of his many aforementioned hobbies, which have since blossomed into careers. He now has his own podcast, Leeds Echoes, which brings the history of Leeds to life with its intimate, meandering descriptions of the city. He works closely with local Leeds restaurant Out on their creative output and is currently working with Leeds Civic Trust on their own audio heritage project. Hello, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you
1: so much for having me.
0: Thank you for coming on. Um, So... You obviously have an interest in urban history in general, but I get the sense that there is something about Leeds that really drew you in. From my own experience, even as a relative newcomer to the city, I've met so many people who arrived here many years ago intending to stay for a few weeks or months or years and ended up just never leaving. What do you think it is about Leeds that draws people in?
1: A few things. I think there's definitely a recurring theme of Southerners sticking up here mm-hmm. and I think if you like me have been born and raised in the home counties Suffolk I mean any of the hundreds of square miles of the southeast outside of London they're places that are quite devoid of culture and mm. certainly of an identity you know if you're born and raised in Milton Keynes there isn't much in the yeah way of, uh, of a brand identity that goes along with that.
0: East Anglia is like the Midwest of the UK.
1: So I think a lot of people like me, I guess, coming from towns like I did, hit somewhere like Leeds um, and just get so romanced by the identity and the history and this real sense of place. You know, people that are born and raised in Leeds know who they are. And in a large part, that's... Geographic, which I find fascinating. Mm. Um, Whether it is Leeds in particular, or whether I would have had the same experience in, say, Manchester, I don't know. I think Leeds has something going for it in that it's so compact and so small, and so much happened in such a small area that I felt, anyway, that you can actually peel back the layers. Whether Mm. as if I tried to do that in, say, London or Manchester, it would feel overwhelming. I think Mm. so much of it. Um, so yeah, I think it's at Leeds condensed nature, which, which lends itself to being so easily fallen in love with.
0: Yeah. So, well, I guess that was kind of my, um, next question. Have you been able to trace any of these elements, uh, back to their, their historical beginnings in the city?
1: I mean, for me, the deeper I dig into Leeds history, the thing that I find fascinating is that it's a city of outsiders and newcomers. It's somewhere who owes as much to its migrants as it does its homegrown talent. From Michael Marks, creating Marks and Spencer, you know, a Polish immigrant who was escaping mass persecution, found Mm -hmm. his home in Leeds. And that seems to be the recurring theme of, you know, there's a hell of a lot of amazing homegrown talent, but it's this place that, yeah, outsiders seem to stick and excel in. And a lot of Leeds' history seems to be like intertwined with that. A lot of the most notable residents that get Mentioned weren't born in Leeds; they only sort of stuck around for a short time, but did their best work here. Yeah, you know, people like Joseph Priestley, um, for instance, who was, I guess, technically born in Leeds, but outside, he wasn't sort of born within the city centre. Yeah, and he spent most of his life all over the place, but yet some of the the bulk of the work he's remembered for was was from here. So,
0: well, yeah, I think from my perspective, it seems like a place that really is kind of nurturing to people and and yeah especially independent thought and yeah i think that's why places like the library and independent leads which we're going to talk a bit about later on um thrives um so local history is is so intrinsic to identity um, and the identity of a place even if it's not highly visible every day what aspects of Leeds history do you feel deserve to be shouted about, though? Kind of overlooked, I guess.
1: Do you know, I think it's anywhere outside the city centre. I think the city centre, rightfully so, has lots of historians fawning over it, me included. But a personal thing of mine that I've really focused on is is LS4, is, mm-hmm. is Burley and Kirkstall. Um, one, because I lived there, which is an easy answer, but two... It's an area that's changed so much, but also hasn't at the same time. And structurally, it's still the same. You know, Mm. I I live in a house that was built in 1910. And the first people that moved in would have been watching the Spanish flu and went, you know, out of the window in 1911. And a hundred years later, I'm still sat there. And I think the thing with Leeds is that it's changed, but it hasn't. You know, LS4 is still LS4, and it's just the type of people who live there that have changed. Yeah. But it's a similar type. You know, once upon a time, it was fresh newcomers to the city, working class people, whereas now it's students and recent graduates and people that are in a similar socioeconomic situation, have Mm. similar things driving what they want out of the area. Um, So I find that fascinating that it's sort of come full circle and somewhere like LS4 particularly, you know, it it depends on these migratory people coming in and out. Mm. You know, so much of the area is, um, and I think there's this real thirst for people to learn more about where they're living. Yeah. Um, And so that's what I try and shout about, I guess, the little tucked away bits Mm. that might be at the bottom of your road or around the corner of the local park from you and I feel like that can sometimes be a lot more tangible for people and a lot more interesting even if it's not as grand you know I could spend an hour talking about the giant fountain that used to be in front of town hall that disappeared Mm. but for someone living in Kirkstall as a a fresh student or graduate me talking about a phone box that used to be at the end of their road that isn't anymore Mm. or something that's been inscribed onto the curb like a Leeds City tramway stop or something and it's these tiny little slivers that I I don't know, I feel like just open little doors in different places and people can really like jump in somewhere that suits them and and something that's of an interest to them.
0: Yeah, well we are both Burley slash Kirkstorians and yeah, you're right, the way that I kind of got to or developed a connection with the place was was walking around and seeing like the Abbey and, and just old buildings. And it, the more you know, and the more you learn, and the more you kind of make uh, a connection with the place, the the more you grow to love it, I think, Definitely. or it, the more that it kind of enriches your life. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, we don't want to live in
1: a box, two box houses. Yes.
0: No, well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, what current projects are you working on?
1: Oh, there's a few. Um, The most exciting one, I guess, is um, through Leeds Civic Trust. um, I've been put forward for uh, a Heritage Open Days grant, which Mm -hmm. I've got, which is amazing. Um, I massively thank the Civic Trust and the National Trust for their confidence and support. But I am doing a special four-part series of my podcast that is designed to be uh, a walking tour, but not uh, not as prescripted and perhaps accidentally ableist as, as maybe some are. Mm. Uh, so the idea is, I'm going to take four areas of Leeds that people have heavily relied on for solace during lockdown, particularly, um, and just kind of do this 15 to 20 minute audio ramble. That if you are in those spaces when you're listening, there's definitely going to be added value. But also, you don't have to be out or in Leeds mm. or even in the country or even on the planet, Jeff Bezos can listen to it when he's orbiting the Earth. In the <laughs> uh, that's super exciting. Um, and then generally working with the Civic Trust on trying to improve their, their sort of digital content. Um, mm. I think COVID has pushed a lot of the heritage sector to, to finally embrace that, which is amazing. Um yeah, I think those are the sort of main exciting things that yeah. I'm working on. Um, I'm... that I can actually talk about as well. I've signed a <laughs> confidential up disclosure agreements That's in the last wild. six weeks. <laughs> so I'm always very careful when I go on a recording to so be like, wait, what can I say and
0: not? Um, James Bond on the podcast. Oh. No, um
1: No, not that glamorous at all.
0: So I'm really interested in this idea of um, spaces that have been comforting or um, Uh, helpful for people during lockdown did you do a lot of walking around Leeds in lockdown because I definitely um traipsed around making little audio recordings (laughs) like a diary I love Uh, that which is super lame no
1: it's I think definitely you if you if you have the passion to do something creative I think the the expectation nowadays is there should be a market for it before you've even fully formed the idea mm. and i think there is real power and value in doing stuff and creating stuff just for you, you yeah know, that no one else is ever going to see or hear here because it allows you to be lame and be cringe yeah. and you know half the time it won't be you know and so i think it's nice like there's i'm all for creating stuff that you yeah just, light into flames afterwards and you've yeah. you done it for the sake of well i
0: think it. lockdown definitely also kind of forced us all to to find out what it is that we're going to do when no one else is around you know mm-hmm. um, and to kind of develop those hobbies so but you i mean yeah you obviously like quit your corporate job yes. to focus turn your hobbies into careers which is amazing
1: it's very lucky very very fortunate definitely um But no, like the the places thing, I mean, I I was out a lot Um, and I think the thing that, I I guess I was one of those people, not to be soapboxy, but I was one of those people that I do a lot of wildlife photography and nature photography, so I Mm. tend to always be out kind of early mornings walking about on, you know, usually it's me and the dog walkers and, you know, the odd rambler and obviously that hugely changed during lockdown Um, and I had to have a word with myself a few times of not wanting to be that person who my sanctity and my space has been invaded. and when really, I was that's... walking
0: before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, it's so, it's so daft. And I was interested a...
0: in local history before I heard about it on a podcast. You know,
1: like, <laughs> no. it, it's such a silly mentality. Like, and, and I, I tried, I mean, you know, there were times when it was like, oh, okay, this is a bit overwhelming. You know, my, my normally peaceful towpath or my, mm. you know, whatever is suddenly influxed with people. But you know, I'd be foolish to shoo them away because at the end of the day, half of what I do is trying to get people out to experience this stuff and to, mm. and to be as giddy and as passionate about it as I am. So you have to learn to share, I guess. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to outside space. Um, and yeah, you know, there's this huge thing now of you know what is public space? You know, mm. it's it's a space that we all have to share equally. Same as public transport, you know it's it's a shared experience mm. and i think that's that's something that's got lost a little bit in the last sort of 20 30 years yeah. of privatization and stuff and you know it's also often i'll be on the bus and someone will be sort of tutting and moaning about oh this bus is taking forever or you know almost moaning that the bus stops and, yeah. and it, that seems to be almost the modern mindset of like why isn't it just working for me exclusively mm. and As much as technology and stuff can make that happen more, we can't forget that, you know, it is important and there is value in learning to share when it comes to these spaces.
0: And I think actually that's really interesting, the way that um, technology can kind of mediate our experience of cities, of Mm -hmm. places. Um, I remember once when I I moved to London when I was like 18 and I broke my phone almost immediately after I got there. So I had I had this period of a few months where I was looking up stuff on Google Maps mm-hmm. and then writing it, drawing it, a map on my arm, and then wandering around. And in a way, it was crazy, and I can't ever imagine being without Google Maps now. But I the way that I experienced the city was so much. I still have those really clear memories yeah. because I was looking and I was so much more kind of
1: involved i guess Present. Yeah,
0: yeah so there are ways i suppose that that technology can really improve um cities and urban planning i remember reading about um how it can be used to kind of divert traffic jams you can kind of uh, there's a lot
1: of potential i think it's all about how it's used um i mean because i'm a big i'm a big digital guy you know mm. like don't get me wrong I love analogue. I would love to collect vinyl and Mm. have an analogue amplifier. And, you know, that speaks to a lot of the uh, anarchy parts of my sensibilities as a local historian. Mm. But digital is the great leveller. You know, uh, I'm seeing a lot of people go back into analogue photography at the minute, which is amazing and I love. But at the same time, the reason I am a photographer is because digital exists. Because if it hadn't, as a working class kid, I would not have had the money to go and get into film photography. Yeah, And you look at things like TikTok, you know, the leveler to black creators that that is, that they're able to create content on the same app with the same, Mm. you know, and so, yeah, I'm a big proponent of digital because Mm. it has the potential to level access to creativity.
0: Yeah. And also broaden the kind of, the ways that things can be presented and, um, something like local history which maybe not is it doesn't seem so glamorous um, initially can be kind of made really exciting and, and relevant to people and yeah so that leads me kind of onto my next question which is about um, presenting history through different media um, and obviously you have your own podcast Leeds echoes mm-hmm. um, but podcasting is such an intimate personal medium and you have a background in music techno uh, Tech, so you kind of you must be hyper aware of how sound can cut to the emotional core of something yes. in a really vital way. And you've talked about um, your obsession with perspective and being able to see the bigger picture, whether that's through aerial photography or looking at maps or through historical research, um, which pieces together the bigger picture and explains how the world works and how it got to be that way. Um, so yeah, to my mind, having a good understanding of history really hinges on finding a balance between both the hyper-personal and the, the systematic, the intimate and the large scale, um, and new technologies are vital to discovering new ways of seeing the world, and in recent years the possibilities for making heritage accessible have expanded a hundredfold. Um, so how did you find your perception of the world as altered um, by the different media you
1: use? I mean, the, the best and easiest first example is, is as you mentioned earlier, right, through My corporate life before I I did project management for um, various places in the construction industry um, and then through the local history and everything and for many reasons I spent an awful lot of time looking at Google Maps, um, which is a very unique world view that up until very, very recently and up until the airplane in the early 1900s, no one ever got that, Mm. you know. a lot of my understanding of um, how a place kind of fits together geographically and then in turn historically, it starts with that top-down view. Mm. Um, And I think, yeah, my sort of, a lot of the research I do into um, transport and infrastructure, um, my next podcast episode is going to be about the ring road construction in Leeds. It would be impossible to make any sense of from the ground level. Mm. um and that's when i mean when i first moved to leeds that's what the ring road struck me as um, mm. whenever i sort of hit it coming into uh the west bar um through westgate uh from burley i was overwhelmed by it went up and it went under and there was tunnels and i i constantly tried to look at it and thought how did it look before and it's been so man-made altered that it Yeah, it became almost impossible, but yet you start looking at it from the top down Mm. and it's so much easier to digest and and sort of make sense of it. So that has hugely impacted, um, I guess, how I view the world and how I view history and heritage. Um, And then sort of coupling that with things like the Leodis archive, Mm. um, being able to have a top-down of Google Maps today, a top-down ordnance survey from 1850, And then an actual photograph from the street level from say 1920. Mm. And all of a sudden you can piece together a whole lifespan of a building. Um, And it just started to create a three-dimensional picture starting from this sort of top down and then the addition of older photographs. It's, yeah, it starts to really flesh it out and contextualize it. Yeah. Um, To the point where if, I think if, I mean, my aim, I guess, is to view it from enough angles in media that I feel like I'm there, you know, as much as I can feeling like I've immersed myself in it.
0: Yeah. And that's part of the joy of uh, all the interesting part of working in heritage is trying to find ways that things can be really brought to life and that can be quite creative in itself, I think. Definitely. Um, How do you factor different different media into your own work? Because I've seen your yeah your drone yes drone pictures are amazing
1: yeah I'm I'm always trying to experiment with um, just cool ways you can kind of show it um, gifs quite mm. a cool I've been using those a lot recently uh, they they work really well on Twitter because they automatically loop um, and rather than sort of showing before and after photographs layering them together and having them dissolve in and out of each other as mm. a gif just that little bit more immersiveness than sliding between two photos. Yeah. Um, And then, like we say, using the drone photography, and I'm starting to pair up sort of drone stuff with me narrating, more like a podcast style, and creating mm-hmm. sort of short-form videos that look at one really, really tiny specific area. I've only done one so far, and it was on Redcoat Lane, mm. um, which is an an ancient right of way that then became the access road to Kirkstall power station. Um, So yeah, like that was combining two for me, quite different things. The, the, the hyper personal sort of vignette of me narrating the podcast and then combining that with this sort of really lush, really nice 4k aerial footage that was sort of dragged your eyes in and your ears in, but it felt like they weren't necessarily Crossing over each other, you know, your eyes and your ears weren't just duplicating the same thing. Your yeah. eyes were getting kind of fed the now, and your ears were getting fed the then. And yeah, so,
0: I'm always trying
1: to play yeah, with, with different ways. Yeah, and making ways. it yeah
0: really kind of immersive and interesting. And I really like that um, there's this kind of almost sociological aspect to your work so it's like the history of a of a city but it's not just kind of like urban buildings it's it's like the history of people and the stories I think that's Um, what history
1: is I think for a a long time history has been the dates and times that white men did things mm. and that's not what happened you know Um, what happened is the millions of people that were under them you know Um, One of these, the opening lines of the first series of my podcast, I think, was something along the lines of, you know, I want to know what leads smelt like and sounded like. I want to know what the butcher thought of what the neighbor thought. Um, And I think it's it can be so easily done. And again, digital technology massively helps that. Um, For me, the digital indexing of old newspapers Mm. is huge. Um, That's the closest I've been able to get to Getting some kind of taste of what people must have felt like, you know, yeah. what the everyday man thought and felt. Um, and yeah, to me, that's real history, especially at a local
0: level. Yeah, um, do you think heritage stands to lose anything from uh digital technologies? No, no,
1: absolutely not. I, I mean, if it's used badly, yes, mm. because you know, any tool used badly can be a weapon, mm. but used properly. It can just involve more people yeah. and I think from a, a socio-economic point of view from a class point of view digital removes any prerequisite yeah. you know, if you have to go and attend a lecture at the British Library you have to live in London, you mm-hmm. have to be wealthy enough to travel in you have to potentially feel that you need to look and dress a certain way you might be intimidated to go because you're not a graduate or you don't have a degree or you're not a PhD holder or you might feel intimidated to go because you're black or a Muslim or you're not the traditional older white Heritage guy. Yeah. And I think digital removes a lot of those boundaries. You know, um, I'm hoping that a lot of these organizations would have seen that firsthand over COVID. And I know the Civic Trust massively has, you know, they're uptake and their engagement digitally has exploded and they are touching and reaching people who they never thought would be interested yeah and I think it is I think heritage does have this bit of an issue of it's its own worst barrier sometimes Mm. And, and I think that digital use properly it just stands the chance to remove that
0: yeah I think you're right actually and I think even yeah just over the last few months we've seen so many more people engage with the libraries work online through just zoom actually mostly um which is really cool um so most of your yeah your research focuses around ls4 um and for the listener if you haven't seen sean's rednecks of burley (laughs) photography series on instagram i'm going to shout out because i think it's amazing um and there's also a brilliant uh history of the cardigan arms uh, a highlight on your Instagram, which I really enjoyed because I love that pub. <laughs> um, um, but local history, I feel, often gets a bit of a bad rap, or at least uh, doesn't always seem quite as glamorous as the history of the Cold War, for example, or the Italian Renaissance. Um, so, what is it about local history that you find so fascinating? I feel like we've talked a bit about. It, you know, it's a connection to identity, but on a kind of like historical documents, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. material level, what is it about it? I just think,
1: I mean, I just think it's more, more tangible, you know, mm-hmm. I, I could definitely get rights like into some cold war research or Italian Renaissance, <laughs> but there would become a point where I wasn't feeling like I was reading about anyone that was remotely myself. And, mm. I guess, I mean, I guess as, as vacuous potentially as it may be, humans are inherently self-interested. And we do struggle a lot of the times to engage with something if we can't see at least a slither of our own reflection back. Mm. And I think that's what local history really stands the chance to do. You know, everyone I read about, I feel connected to, you know, even though I'm not from Leeds, you know, when I'm reading about a, a Leodesian woman from 1890, I feel such a more more of a chance that I might know what she might be thinking or feeling or mm. I can sort of relate to her experiences more and I think that makes a much better starting point because if you start researching with people who you can really relate to and an area you can relate to like where you grew up mm. eventually it will become a lot easier to learn about something like the cold war or learn about a group of people who is very far removed from yourself either culturally or geographically and it, it builds up your ability to empathise, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the idea that having such a tangible history around you makes the whole, you know, historical thought easier and, and, and better. I think so. That's I think it's really, like the
1: best starting point. Like. Yeah,
0: that's a really interesting idea, actually. Um, and I... Well, my, yeah, my feeling is that people increasingly have less of a connection to the places they grow up or the places they live. Yeah. And there's less of a... Um, yeah, a kind of a sense of belonging to one particular place. Why do you think it's important that we have a sense of local history in the first place, in our increasingly metropolitan mm. era?
1: I mean, I think there's a practical notion to it. Um, if, if you're going to complain about something being the way it is in your city to me, you will stand a chance of making a much more valid and logical complaint if you understand why it is that way in the first place. Mm. Leeds, for instance, LS4 traffic on Kirkstall Road. (laughs) Very, very easy to bemoan the traffic on Kirkstall Road. Not as easy to sit down and figure out why it's ended up like that. And, And at the end of the day, if you want to solve a problem, figuring out how it came about is the first step to doing that. So I think it allows people on a practical level to just be more vested into what's going on and it empowers people to then be able to actually instigate positive change Mm. um and then on a sort of an an emotional and an esoteric level it's just this sense of belonging Mm. um you know the the more i've learned about leads and the more i feel like i belong here in a weird way um and it's, it's just it's like an old friend, you know, that's that's where friendships and all relationships come from is yeah. is, is knowing that person, it's, it's a really, familiarity.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting that you said, as you said a bit before, that um, knowing a place can kind of develop your empathy because you always think about, you know, learning the lessons of history on a, on a broad scale, mm-hmm. you know, but actually, yeah, the fact that that could be translated to local history to kind of, yeah, that knowing a place's history broadens your understanding and your patience and your yeah 100 that's i hadn't thought of it that way this has been a podcast from the leeds library links to more information about our guests and any works talked about can be found in the description if you'd like to find out more about the leeds library and any of our upcoming events please visit our website at www.theleedslibrary.org.uk or you can follow us on twitter instagram or facebook at the leeds library Thank you for listening and keep your eyes and ears peeled for more Tales from the Leeds Library in our future episodes released every Wednesday.